Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are currently in week six of our Apostles' Creed series. This week, Pastor Kenny taught on Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, about the depth of God's love and grace revealed on the cross and renewing us day by day. We've been looking at, for the last five weeks, some deep and key theological, the fact that God is our creator, that he's our father who's both powerful and very personal. We have this Jesus, and Jesus was both fully God and fully man, just very important doctrines of our faith. We believe in the Trinity, that there's a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Father initiates all things, that the, that the Son accomplishes all things, that the Spirit uh, applies all things, and some deep things with the Trinity, that if God wasn't a Trinity, if He wasn't an us, then love would have been created when we were created. Do you guys realize that? Because love is a relational Thing. You need to have relationship between people in order for there to be love. If God was all solo for eternity and then all of a sudden he created us, then love would have been created. But in fact, love wasn't created. Love was eternal. He's eternally God. He's always been love. And that was an overflow of that. In the same way life was like that. Life in the Bible is a relational piece. Having relationship with God equals eternal life, spiritual life. If they didn't have each other, then life would have began at creation. But life is eternal and it was an overpouring after. So these these thoughts are are not secondary or unimportant. They have deep, deeper a meaning than we could ever understand. And then today we're going to look at this passage or this piece of it where it goes like this. It goes, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell. I want to talk a little bit about kind of these pieces before we get into our passage, which is in Romans chapter five. But the, fi- the fact that he suffered reminds us, it digs back to this idea that Jesus was both fully God and fully man. Some people uh, taught, and it's a heresy, that Jesus wasn't fully man when he, entered, when, he, when he hung on the cross, and therefore he didn't really suffer, it just appeared to suffer. No, he suffered like me and you would suffer. It hurt. It was hard. He suffered. It's important for us to under, That word is important for us to understand that, that what, what Jesus accomplished he suffered under Pontius Pilate in antiquity, in, in ancient times. Often writers would use a, an important figure in history to kind of date things, right? The book of Isaiah starts like that, in the year that, that Uzziah, King Uzziah died. So then we know exactly when that happened. Pontius Pilate is a, is a Roman governor that everyone remembers, so we, we date here, they're dating this, that this is an actual historic fact that he was crucified that he died and he was buried. People believed that maybe he didn't really die, he faked it or almost was dead, so he didn't really rise again. All these things are, are heresies that have come uh, with false teaching throughout the ages, and the reason why the Apostles' Creed is written the way it is is so that we would be grounded enough in the truth that we wouldn't fall for those things because they're important. And then the last one, probably there's two in the Apostles' Creed that kind of, if you, when you first hear it, you're like, mm, what, wait, are we really saying that? And one is he, he descended into hell. And the other one is the Holy Catholic Church, which all that really means in this time is just the, all the believers, the unified church, 
all of the believers is the Holy Catholic Church in the creed. And when it says he descended into hell, there's, uh, in more recent times, there's been some debate about a passage in First Peter, and people kind of wonder, like, what happened to Jesus on Friday night and all day Saturday before he rose from the dead? What did he do? Well, what this creed is saying when it says he descended to, to Hades or to hell or to the place of the dead, all they're trying to say is that he really died. Some people, they taught that he didn't really die. The Jewish culture, they believed that once you died, you went to the place of the dead, which sometimes Hades or Sheol. And there was two sides of that, right? The good and the bad. All that they're trying to say is that he went to the place where people go when they die. That Jesus really died. If you want more about kind of the the different debates on that, I'm not going to cover that this morning, but I want to direct you to a resource. If you have your notes and you want to do this, it's a podcast. It's called Word Matters by Trevin Wax. All you need to really do is Word Matters, and it's episode 35. It's a 20-minute um, segue that unpacks. It's, I, I really got a lot out of it. It, it. it does in 20 minutes more than I could do this morning. And so if you're somebody who's wants more on that, I'm going to leave you there, and we're going to get into what really is the heart of this in there. And it's this. Why is Jesus' death an essential belief of our faith? Why is the fact that he actually died and they even went to great lengths in the communication to say, no, there's, I want you guys, there's no other way to put it. He died. He went to the place of the dead. He was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, a well-known Pharisee. You, when, when they found his tomb empty, it was empty. They didn't misplace it. It's impossible that that would have been the case. The Bible doesn't leave that open. He died. But why is Jesus' death an essential belief in our faith. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 in the ESV translation, and then we'll unpack it in your notes. Why is Jesus' death an essential belief of our faith? Romans 5, 1 through 11 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope, in in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, And character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one uh, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to to even, even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now this is a deep and theological passage. In short, the big idea here is that Jesus died to save sinners. Paul says it very easily in 1 Timothy 1.15. He said, you can be confident of this, that Christ Jesus died for sinners. And then he said, for which I am the foremost. In other words, Paul's saying, I needed Jesus to die on the cross. We all needed Jesus to die on the cross because we're sinners. But he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save sinners. That's what we're getting at. And now Palm Sunday, what we're saying is that Jesus Jesus entered Jerusalem to die on a cross to save sinners. That's the fact. That's the simplicity of it. That Jesus entered Jerusalem to die on a cross to save sinners. And our passage frames some great theology about salvation. Salvation theology. And we're going to look at today the means of salvation which is atonement, and we'll look at that. We're going to look at the goal of salvation, which is righteousness. We're going to look at that. And then we're going to look at the nature of salvation, which is redemption. So we'll start with the first one. The means of salvation is atonement. It says in the Scriptures, in this passage in Romans 5, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God because He died on the cross through Jesus. Now remember back, I said, hold on to that thought. Jesus standing at, uh, over Jerusalem and weeping, saying, if you only knew what would bring you peace. I believe Jesus is still weeping that prayer. I believe we should all weep that prayer. Do, do, you, do any of you know somebody who's not following Jesus? Their life, you can just see so clearly, they're, they're chasing all of the wrong remedies. And it's like, if they only knew how much they need Jesus and how much He's the answer, if they only knew. We should weep for the people who don't know Jesus. If you only knew what, how Jesus can give you the peace you're looking for. That is the idea that's wrapped up in here when he says, we now have it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, namely because he entered Jerusalem to die on a cross. And the question would be, how do we have peace with God? And the answer would be through atonement. Now the scriptures teach us, and this is the first letter A in your notes, What theologians call, it's kind of a big word, and we'll kind of unpack it though, Christ was our penal substitutionary atonement. Say that five times fast. Penal substitutionary atonement. Penal means punishment, or He died for us. He took the punishment for us. Substitution means He died in our place. And atonement means we can now have peace. With God. Everything, when you think about atonement, you think about reconciliation. Any of you guys ever been in a fight with like a coworker or a family member or maybe like a spouse or, or anybody really and you have beef, right? And you need to do something, something needs to happen to take care of that beef, right? 
and, and fix that. And when you remove that and you come back together, we call that reconciliation, you have peace again. And that's the idea of atonement is that, is that that thing that you do to remove, to fix the, the, pun, the punishment, to pay the pun, punishment, once you remove that, then you can have peace. Jesus died on the cross. He, he was our substitutionary atonement, meaning he, all of our sin went on to Him and was dealt with, and that's why we can have peace. And then, the, and then this passage goes on to, to unpack why He would do this. It says, because He loves us, He died in our place. For God loved us so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And here we have one of the, another one of the great mysteries that's been revealed to us, namely this. How can one man's death pay for everybody who would believe sin? A lot of people struggle to understand that. How can one person's death cover the sins of so many? Such a broad you know, bulk of, of sin needing to be atoned for. How could one man's death, well, it gives you a, a picture of the glory of the cross. It gives you a picture of the big dealness of this event. I mean, we make a big deal, don't, don't make me wrong, we make a big deal of, of, of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead, don't we? We don't make a big enough deal about it, is what we're saying. It is such a big deal that one man's death for three hours, roughly, maybe six hours, some would argue, one man's six-hour death could, could pay for the sins of all of humanity all the way back and all the way forward for all of creation until he comes back. Is that a big deal? And it's because of his love that this happens. We'll never be able to, if you could wrap your mind around how big of a deal that is, then you really need to relook at it because it is such a big deal. We cannot fathom it. It's one of the mysteries that's been revealed to us. How could this be? But it is because God reveals that to us. And then letter C, we see in this passage that because of his grace, we have new life. Because of his love, he died for us because of his grace, we have new life. Now, grace is, we have a bunch of words in, in scriptures and concepts that we, we try to define, but I would say they're, be, they're, they're too big to really define with human words. Um, glory is one of those. How do you define the glory of God? If, if the glory of God means the big dealness of God, how, how could you find the right words to fully encapsulate how big a deal God is? You will never be, you could just kind of try to understand it. Well, grace is a word like that. A lot of times when we think of grace, we think of what's called unmerited favor. It's a free gift. Grace is an unmerited favor. It's, it's a free gift. But we see in this passage something pretty deep. That beyond that, it is, it is exactly that. It is a free gift, an unmerited favor. Salvation is a gift of grace. It's also a sphere of access to God. Because that's how he says, he says, you now have gained access through grace to God. 
It is a sphere of access. In Hebrews it says you can be confident of this to stand before the throne of grace. So grace is actually a sphere that we're invited into. John Stott says it like this, justified believers enjoy a blessing far greater than a periodic approach to God for an occasional audience with the king. We are privileged to live in the temple and in the palace. We're invited into his presence. That That is a part of his grace. It also... God's grace, it's, it's an empowerment to accomplish all that God has called us to, both in action and endurance. God's grace, it says in Romans chapter 5, by God's grace, He gives us gifts or abilities to fulfill all the things that He's asked us to accomplish or called us to accomplish. He gives us, by His grace, the ability to do what He wants us to do. And it also, it also His grace gives us the ability to endure in every circumstance. And that's why in this passage, he adds that little piece. He goes, Jesus suffered for your sins, and now you should rejoice in in your suffering because it produces character, or it produces endurance, and then endurance produces character. And then what does character produce? Hope. God's grace What I want you guys to understand, when Jesus died on the cross and he offers us grace, it's more than just a ticket to heaven. God died on the cross and by his grace, he gives us his grace. He gives us a ticket to heaven. He gives us everything that we need to endure through everything that life will bring. He gives us gifts so that we can be useful and do all that He has called us to do. And He gives us grace in that we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to be in His presence. He invites us in now through His death. Is His death, burial, and resurrection a big deal? It is an essential deal Because our grace depends on it. If you think about it, only Jesus could take the most prolific, the most ugly, the most representing defeat type of death, crucifixion, and revolutionize it, redeem it into the the most awesome symbol of victory and hope. We have a great hope. Why? Because Jesus loved us. He died on a cross. He offers us grace. Grace beyond what we normally think of as just a ticket to heaven, but grace that affects our past, our present, our future, all-encompassing a great hope. And then we look in our notes and in this passage and we see what is the goal of salvation, namely it is righteousness. A lot of people, every, I would say this, every single person on this earth, one of the core things that we do is we try to attain righteousness. Although we don't normally say it like that. What we do is we try to get acceptance. We try to be okay enough that people will like us. We try to uh, uh, please whoever it is that's the most important for us to please. Sometimes it's your father. Sometimes it's the crowd, whatever it is. We, we, we t- attempt to chase this type of righteousness where we could say, finally, I just want to know I'm okay. I'm all right. Righteousness. 
And what we're saying here is that through salvation is the only means to truly gain this type of righteousness. And Paul talks about it. He goes like this. A, 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 a right a, a God might actually die for a righteous man, but for sinners? The idea that he's trying to uh, uh, portray here is that none of us are righteous on our own. It would, we would make sense to us if he died because we were righteous, but the fact that we realize we're not righteous, that's why it's mind-blowing that he would die for us, right? So righteousness cannot be something that we earn or accomplish. You can't get enough degrees. You can't get your hair to look nice enough. You can't pick out the nicest, the, the rightest outfit. You can't fix your behavior enough. There is nothing, absolutely nothing that you could do. You couldn't move to another state to get away from all the junk. You couldn't fix the government enough. You couldn't do anything enough to be right, to make things right. Only the blood of Jesus could do that. And so traditionally, we we look at it like this, that we're saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. That's how we attain righteousness. And through faith alone, we don't have a righteousness of our own that 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 we've accomplished that we can boast in. Now, here's the thing. As Christians, if we say, I believe Jesus died on the cross, I believe Jesus when we say, I believe he died and, and was, was buried and then he rose again, he descended to hell, he was really dead, and then he rose again. If we, when we say, I believe that, we're saying, I believe he did that because he loves us, that his grace is what we need, that this gives us righteousness. And if that's true, then we should be the most humble people on the planet. Christians should be the most humble people on the planet because we realize that it is not anything we did, it's all what He did. So we should be humble. Also, Christians should be the most confident people on the planet because we're both humble and we're confident because we have a God who was able to accomplish the real deep, gritty thing that we needed accomplished in order to have righteousness. I mean, you could get a tattoo, you could change your haircut, you could read a self-help book, you could go to counseling, you could change your job, you could get married to a supermodel, you could do all of these things, or an Instagram model, which is one step above a supermodel now. You could do one of those things, all of those things, and nothing should give you as much confidence walking into the room to know, I have Jesus, my Lord and Savior. So through faith alone, and then it's by grace alone. And this is a beautiful thing. And we say it like this. When we say we're saved by grace alone, you could be confident specifically because of this. There is now nothing that you could do to make God love you anymore. All the striving that we do to try to earn God's favor, He's already lavished it on us. There's nothing that you could do to make God love you anymore. And you need to hear this. There's nothing that you could do to make God love you any less. Some of you are, 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 are hiding in shame and guilt. Come out. Jesus loves you. There's nothing you could do to make God love you any less. 
Does, he, does his love desire that you would keep growing and maturing? Yes. Does he applaud when we sin? No. Has he dealt with it? Yes. Does he want us to deal with it? By giving it to him. And walking away from sin because of our freedom from it that he purchased. And is by grace alone and it is in Christ alone. In this passage alone, here's some things that it says in just these 11 verses about through Christ, in Christ alone. It says that we have peace with God through Christ our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that, I don't get, he doesn't get any applause for that? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Feels so much better when you have to ask for it. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Through Him we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but through Him we rejoice in our sufferings. That's more of a golf clap. And we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now now have received reconciliation. Not just in the future, but now. It's a now. And so we see the nature of salvation lastly. The nature of salvation is redemption. The nature of salvation is redemption. There's a couple of pictures when we talk about redemption that are important to understand that help us understand the fullness of this idea that Jesus redeems us by the blood of the Lamb. That He redeems us. Now, in the Jewish culture, we talked about this a couple of weeks, but if you weren't here or if you missed it or if you're like everyone else in the room that's next to you, you don't remember what I said, We'll talk a little bit more about it. In the Jewish culture, you had this thing called the kinsman redeemer. If you ever read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, it's all about the kinsman redeemer. The idea of kinsman means family. And in this, in this context, kinsman redeemer means reclaiming your family. To be a kinsman redeemer is to reclaim family. When Jesus died on the cross, redemption in Christ means that He reclaimed you and made you His family. He adopted you into His family. If you feel like, I don't have, a, a, my family's a mess, only your earthly family's a mess. Your heavenly family is not a mess. And you are just as much a part of that as anyone else. Kinsman Redeemer. When He redeems you, you're His family. He makes you family. That's why you can have access to Him as your Father. That's why we use language like that. He's your Father because He's your Father. We're sons and daughters. Why? Because we're, we're family. We're brothers and sisters, right? We, we call each other that sometimes in the church. You go, that's kind of weird, right? But that's the idea is that we're brothers and sisters because, because of the Kinsman Redeemer. And who's adopted us. And we now literally are brothers and sisters in Christ. So the kinsman redeemer. Now for the Greek background, which in like in Second Temple Judaism, when Jesus actually was, was there, I don't know if you guys knew this, but it was heavily a, a Greek influenced. When, when Alexander the Great came in years before Jesus, he tried to Hellenize all of the world. Right? He tried to make it Greek. That's why most languages in history speak Greek in that area, right? That's why the New Testament was written in 
Greek because of this Hellenization and the culture that Jesus is, is born into and lived in was heavily influenced with Greek. Now, the Jews had a very strong uh, uh, roots, and so they still had their distinct Jewishness. They had their feasts and their festivals, but they were in tyranny to this Greek culture. That's why these revolutionaries wanted to overthrow Rome, because that, they thought that's what would fix it. The problem is the Greek influence. No, the problem is the deep sin within us that Jesus needed to deal with, right? But the Greek culture, and when, the, when you talk about redemption to somebody who's in the Greek culture, probably the biggest picture in their world would have been going down to the marketplace and being able to purchase the freedom of a slave. Redemption to the Greeks would have been purchasing freedom. Think about that. Jesus comes, dies on a cross, atones for our sin, gives us His righteousness, and He redeems us. He makes us family, and He purchases our freedom from the slavery that keeps us from the true peace that we really desire. Redemption equals freedom. Redemption equals family. We'll have our worship team come back up. And we see in this passage that new life through reconciliation. We have this new life that's formed through reconciliation. One more time, you... You have beef with somebody. There's a problem with somebody. In this passage, it says He frees us from the wrath of God. Right? That's God's attitude towards us when we're in our sin. There's this separation that happens. Right? There's beef with God. There's enmity with God, sometimes the Scriptures say. And when we atone, when Jesus atoned for that, when He removes that sin, that's no longer a problem. Now we're we're, we're redeemed family we're, we're, we're slaves and we're reconciled to God. We now have a peace with God. This reconciliation has taken place and it gives us new life. We have new life in Jesus. And what we'll find in this passage, in summary, is this. That the cross, the death of Jesus, impacts our past, our present, in our future. I want you to think about the impact that Jesus' death has had on your life as we think about the fact that we have peace with God. We've been reconciled to God. We've been redeemed. We have peace with God. That represents the forgiveness of our past sins. If you came in this morning holding on to guilt and shame from your past sins... It's time to give that to him because he died for exactly that reason. It's been dealt with. He's dealt with all of our past regrets, all of our past mistakes, all of our sin, and we have peace with God. And then it says, and we are standing in his grace. Think about that. We have peace with God because he dealt with our past And we now stand in His grace. Think about the encompassing, His unmerited favor. His inviting us into His presence. His giving us everything we need, gifts in order to... That's why we keep saying, like, get involved because God has given you stuff. You don't even know. You have these new muscles. You need to start using them. 
you got to exercise them. The kingdom and you both grow when we use our gifts and we can rejoice in our sufferings because God never wastes a hurt. Whatever you're going through, whatever you've gone through, the people you lost and the people that you're losing, the people who have hurt you and the people who you've hurt, God is able, God is able to take all of that and because He loves you and has given you His grace, He's able to to use it somehow for good. He doesn't cause it, but He does use it. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.